Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to a Big Heads Media Podcast. Tonight is the end of Season 1 as we finish up our two-part season finale on Freetown, Massachusetts. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Yes, we have made it to the end of season one, and what a long, strange journey it has been. Uh, I do have a couple of housekeeping notes to go over before we get into it proper. Uh, One is I am now officially a product ambassador for the Dirty Knees Soap Company. It's a company that I started using their products not quite a year ago, and I've been literally addicted to them ever since. I use uh, the bar soap, I use the beard oil, and I use the hand lotion all in the Minnesota wood scent. And they've given me the opportunity to help share that with everyone else. So um, it's not really a sponsor sponsor, but I was provided with a special uh, web address that you guys can click through so that I will get credit for a sale. If you go through and buy something off of Dirty Knees, there is also a promo code, which of course, you probably guessed it already, is a SDScast. And I believe if you use that at checkout, you'll get 10% off of the order, and that also gives me credit. So I'm just throwing that out there. Probably make up like a nice actual like advert pre-recorded thing for the next episode, but I just wanted to let everyone know that that is a, another way you can support the show. So... If you want to support the show and you stink, then uh, use a, use the STS Cast promo code and buy some soap. It's uh, I've been I can't get enough of it. I have like I said, I use a bunch of their products and I have been going on almost one year and I don't see any reason to stop. 
but I'm going to try to set it up on the website a little bit so there will be like a permanent link maybe under the support section, but I've got to go through and set up a sub menu and do some stuff over there. Or you can keep an eye on Twitter and Facebook. I'll tweet out uh, the Dirty Knees uh, link every once in a while, but you know, kind of in a, in a, in a testing phase and we'll see how that goes. But right now, you know, you can check it out if you want. Um, what else did I want to talk about? Oh yes. So this is the last episode of season one. I had been saying that I wanted to take an extra week off and I think I'm still going to do that, but I might just go into season two as normal. Like, you know, every other, uh, a two week, every other week as, as it would have been. The reason being, I was looking at the calendar and uh, I have to go to a, well, I don't have to go, I want to go, and I bought a ticket, so I'm going to a, a Slipknot concert on the Friday that I would have to record Season 2, Episode 1, like the Friday night. So I'm either going to just keep it as normal and not take that extra week off, or I'm just going to come back from the show, because it's going to be a couple hour drive, and uh, record it late Friday night, and then edit it Saturday afternoon. So it'll still come out on Saturday like it would, but it might come out in the afternoon instead of the early morning. I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but keep an eye on Twitter, and I'll I'll let everyone know what I'm going to do. So it's either going to come out... Let's look at the calendar. Let's load up the calendar. It's either going to come out... Today is the 27th. So it's either going to come out the 10th, like it normally would, or it's going to come out the 17th later in the day. Not sure which. I'll let everyone know what I decide to do with that. And I think that's about all. Um, I'm working on some stuff for season two. We'll see how these plans go as the show continues to grow. I will say that July has been the most successful month to date. Uh, the downloads, you know, we're getting, I'm getting a steady number of downloads pretty much every day. 50 to like 80 downloads a day, and then like a huge jump, of course, when an episode comes out, all throughout the two-week kind of release schedule, which is nice. You know, you had that part where it used to drop off, and then like the last half of that second week before an episode came out would just be desert. But, you know, people are continuously listening, and the numbers for this month have been the best they've ever been. Um, even with that weird little foible that, I don't I, I didn't talk about the foible, did I? Oh, no, I didn't. So, uh, a few weeks ago, I woke up to 6,000 downloads in a day, and I'm like, this is ridiculous, this can't be right. And I was right, it couldn't be right. Um, there was some bug, some something in the system where it was, all of these downloads had come from, like, South Salem, Massachusetts, or North Salem, somewhere around in there, all from this little town, like 6,000 downloads, all for the same episode. And I'm like, that doesn't seem legit. That seems wrong. Like, I doubt the 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 population is even that many. And why why would they all want to listen to the same episode but never listen to any other ones? They all it was all for I think the Kexberg episode, which just seemed really suspicious. So and that's what it was. There was some kind of bug. It happens every once in a while. So now I had this huge spike in my numbers, uh, which I'm sure this is probably just boring for some, but maybe not boring for everyone. But I took care of it. Everything's back on track. And we soldier on. So tonight is part two of Freetown, Massachusetts. And uh, there's going to be a fair warning, some true crime stuff tonight. Nothing, I don't think, super heinous, but just letting everyone know. And uh, yeah, just, you know, warning. And then we're going to talk about just some high strangeness stuff that happens around the area as we get into talking about the quote-unquote Bridgewater Triangle of it all. Uh, but before we get into that, of course, I have a promo. And tonight, that uh, promo is from Franchise Tag, one of the uh, podcasts on Big Heads Media. So we'll play that, and we'll be back to talk uh, some uh, murders and some cult activity from Freetown, Massachusetts. 
Calling all sports fans, are you looking for an alternate source for sports news, scores, takes, and updates? We'll look no further on Franchise Tag Sports Podcast, hosted by me, Eric Salas. With the help of frequent guests, we'll give you all the latest and greatest on sports. That's right. I'm talking NFL, the occasional NBA and MLB, and yes, a lot more NFL. I've always loved watching the NFL, and there's no better way to talk sports than flipping on a microphone and giving my opinions on what goes on around the league. Tune in every week for brand new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Franchise Tag Pod and on Instagram at Franchise Tag Sports. It's the Franchise Tag Sports Podcast. We got the sports. You just got to press play. And we are back with uh, the third segment of our huge Freetown, Massachusetts two-parter uh, murders and cult activity. So let's just uh, let's jump right in here. In the 1980s and into the early 90s, the satanic panic wave crashed onto our shores and it crashed onto our shores big time. Most of it turned out to be nothing but bored teenagers, misinterpretation of heavy metal music, and just made up stories and lies. However, in and around Freetown, Massachusetts, some of it may have just been real. In 1991, four teenagers went out to the Asinet burial ground. A couple of the teens entered the Robert Wyatt Mausoleum. Once inside, they removed the head of Angie Littlefield, and the two of them ran back to the car with their morbid prize in hand. Back at the car, the others involved didn't believe the two would actually go through with it. Shocked that they did, they threw Angie's head out of a car window. Eventually, the two were charged, and the head was recovered. But since then, the crime has become somewhat of a legend. The teen's motivation for stealing the head remains unclear. It was probably just a prank. Perhaps they found that that particular mausoleum was the easiest one to break into. Or perhaps it was something more sinister. It has been said that they were part of a cult that believed that if you drank from the skull of someone deceased that it would give you power. No matter the reasoning behind it, it's a true occurrence. Which is more than I can say for a lot of the satanic panic stories from that era. Another story with ties to cult activity is the murder of Doreen Ann Levesque. Her body was found on October 19, 1979 under the bleachers of the Diamond Regional High School. Doreen was quickly identified and it soon became known that she was a local prostitute. Once this information came out, the investigation quickly centered on her pimp, and that's the, that's the only time I'm going to refer to him as that, but I've got to give you some semblance of what's going on. The investigation would start to heat up when a man named Andy Malteus came forward and offered up some information on the Levesque murder. He said he had heard additional information about the crime from other prostitutes. One of these women was Karen Marsden. Marsden was another employee of Carl Drew. She ended up telling police that she feared for her life. Karen stated that Drew had killed Doreen and would kill her because she was talking to the police. She also told the police something she didn't tell Malteus. She let it slip that Malteus had murdered his girlfriend Barbara Raposa months earlier. And this doesn't this was a completely uh, unrelated incident, I believe, but it came into play with all of this. It wouldn't take long for investigators to shift their focus to Malteus. There were similarities between both Doreen and Barbara. Both were found bound after their death and they died in similar ways. Malteus was also the leader of a reformed cult of Satanists. Malteus introduced another woman to the police as well. Her name was Robin Murphy. Her strong personality seemed to help her gain control over some of the other women in Drew's employ. In a story recounted by Marsden, Murphy allegedly drove her out to the state forest and threatened to offer her life up to Satan. She claimed that Murphy was part of a local cult in which Carl Drew was the leader. While all this back and forth with police between Malteus and Murphy, Karen Marsden would meet her fate, probably by the hands of Robin Murphy and maybe even Carl Drew. It would mostly be due to Murphy's testimony that all the pieces would fall into place. Murphy would testify that Malteus curled his girlfriend because she had cheated on him. Murphy also testified that she helped Drew to murder Marsden because she had gone to police about Levesque. Drew was convicted of Karen Marsden's murder and is now in prison. Malteus was convicted of the murder of his former girlfriend, Barbara Raposa, and he has since died in prison. Robin Murphy got a release sentence and was released in 2004. However, she's now back in prison because of a parole violation, and of course she is appealing and recanting everything she said in the past, trying to get released. Out into the Freetown State Forest, there's a makeshift shack 
where many say that the murder of Karen Marsden was committed, and it still stands to this day. Um, there is some, uh, what do you want to say, some conjecture, some argument of if the shack is called the Ice House, or if the Ice House is a different location. Uh, the legend has gone down, the stories that have spotted up around it is that this is where Drew would go to practice his rituals and whatnot. And it did happen. Um, I'm not really sure how much of it is due to uh, Satanism. Um, I think there's a lot of satanic panic to this story. And if you, you dive into, like I said, dive into the book that I've been been uh, reading, uh, Dark Woods by Christopher Balzano. There's a link in the show notes. Um, there's also a great documentary. It's on Amazon Prime right now. It is called The Bridgewater Triangle. Um, they, they, they dab a little bit, but, you know, you hear all these stories from the same place of animal sacrifices and graffiti and all this. How much of it actually chalks up to being something, I don't know. But there were a couple of incidents that were tied to quote-unquote cold activity. And, you know, they did turn out to be true. They weren't hoaxes or false confection, confections. Mm, false confessions. Um, I make a lot of mistakes. I edit most of them out, but sometimes I keep them in because they make me, make, make me giggle. Um, but I really, you know, I don't know how much of it really came into play or if it was just, you know, a lot of he hearsay and what was said. But that is just one of the other little facets of this place. Like, I could do, if I wanted, I could easily do another two episodes on this one, I don't know, maybe another, maybe another episode, two segments, I guess is what I wanted to say, of Freetown, Massachusetts, and the stuff around Freetown, Massachusetts, like, I'm, I'm giving you the tip of the iceberg, um, but go read that book, go watch the documentary, in fact, there's another book, I didn't even know about it, Christopher Balzano wrote another book called Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle, which I didn't even know about. I don't have it yet. Um, but there's so much here to dive into. There's such a rabbit hole to fall down. And I, I wanted to save some of it so that you guys can go and discover that stuff on your own uh, with the books. And the documentary is great. I'll have links. You can find it. Like I said, it's on Amazon Prime. But we're going to get into the last part of this real quick and with some just uh, some nice you know little tidbit little great little stories about just strangeness just weirdness things that we maybe haven't really touched on yet so we'll be back here segment two as we talk about the bridgewater triangle itself So here it is. Here's the plot twist of the whole thing. Uh, I've been talking about the Bridgewater Triangle the entire time. Everything that we've discussed, uh, the satanic stuff, the murders, uh, the Wampanoag legends, the ghosts of the Wampanoag Forest, the Freetown State Forest, all of that has been encompassed inside the Bridgewater Triangle. So... It's kind of a weird segment because, like I said, the entire thing has really kind of been the Bridgewater Triangle. But I wanted to use this time to hit on some stuff that we didn't discuss in the other ones, you know. So a lot of a lot of stories like UFOs and, you know, it, name it, it's there. UFOs, Bigfoot. Um, I didn't really get into a Bigfoot story because there aren't, there aren't, like, real good juicy ones. But there are places that, you know, he, he has been seen. Uh, Clay Lake 1 and 2, I believe. They have a little lake called Clay Lake 1 and Clay Lake 2 are big, big, uh, Bigfoot, Bigfoot hot spots. And there's also Lake Nippinicket, which I could do an entire episode on, and I might. I didn't even touch it on this, on this episode, because I might be able to take that and make a whole half of an episode out of it later down the road. So, but that's what I want to get into now, is just high strangeness of the bridge water triangle. So like I've said, everything I've talked about the night can be attributed to the Bridgewater Triangle. The area has everything in it from hauntings to crime, from strange disappearance to UFOs. 
Freetown, Massachusetts and its surrounding area really is the ultimate small town of secrets. The name Bridgewater Triangle was first coined by Lauren Coleman in his 1983 book Mysterious America. The triangle consists of the land between Freetown to the south, Abington to the northeast, and Rehoboth to the west. In the middle of this triangle lays the Hockamock Swamp, which is also known as the Misery Swamp and that's what I referred to at last episode. But this is the infamous place where Wampanoag Chief Metacom met his end, and the word Hockamock means place where spirits dwell. Like I said, the Bridgewater Triangle really does have everything. And let's talk about a few stories of the strange things witnessed in the area. How about Thunderbirds? A former Norton police sergeant, Tom Downing, once witnessed a huge bird take off right in front of him. It soared overhead and flew off into the distance. Oddly enough, the sergeant saw the giant creature on Bird Hill in the town of Mansfield. And it's kind of unclear. Uh, it would be nice to find out, is this place, Lauren Coleman says this in the documentary, but I, I agree with him, is this place called Bird Hill because of the sighting, or was it just always Bird Hill? Is it called Bird Hill because people see giant birds there all the time? Uh, but it's the same thing you hear all the time about whenever a police, a police, uh, policeman in the 70s sees something strange as he gets laughed at and he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. He won't go on record with it anymore, I don't believe. But, yep, Thunderbirds are out there. Giant snakes, you say? Well, we have that, too. Back in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, down in their luck loggers, who found work near the Hockamock Swamp, would go in and come running out minutes later in sheer terror. Many of these men would go on to report large stovepipe-sized snakes inhabiting the Hockamock. And there aren't snakes in Massachusetts that are that thick, that big. It's not the Amazon, but they have been seen in the Hockamock Swamp. How about some UFOs? UFOs were and still are pretty prevalent in the Bridgewater area. There's an odd story from 1908 that tells on Halloween night that two undertakers were driving a horse-driven carriage through the night, and they saw a large lantern-shaped object follow them around in the dark. And that one sounds really uh, urban legendy, and I'm sure, but... I love that I love that little tidbit of a story. But perhaps one of the most well-known UFO sightings occurred in the area on March 3rd of 1972. WHDH radio personalities Steve Sabarska and Jerry Lopes were walking to their cars when both men saw an arrow-shaped object fly over the nearby Ram Dog track. Steve described the craft as very large, five 747s put end to end. Over the next few days, the two men would find out that numerous people also saw the massive UFO. And if you check out the show notes or the website, uh, well, yeah, you will see a drawing of this UFO. It's, it's arrow-shaped in the way of, like, a sign would be arrow-shaped. You know, so it's just kind of a triangle, a square with a triangle at the end of it to make a point. Um, not like an arrow shape of, like, you know, little feathers on the end of it. UFOs not your thing? Well, how about large cats? Big cats? In 1993, people in Mansfield started seeing a large tan cat, much like a mountain lion, stalking around town. It became known as the Mansfield Mystery Cat. Later that year, the headless corpse of an African serval was discovered near the Rayamtown line. Could this have been the Mystery Cat? Black Panthers have also been seen in the area, which, of course, are not native to uh, Massachusetts. And uh, an African serval, I guess I should, I might throw one in the show notes, but Google it, you'll find it. They're, they're a house cat, but they're like a big house cat. They're like if you took two house cats and duct taped them together. So that could have been what people saw. People tend to, you know, exaggerate the size of uh, things when they see them. Or it could have been something entirely, entirely different. Uh, don't like cats, or you're not a cat person. There have also been large dogs. And I when I mean large dogs... In the documentary, when they talk about the story, Lauren Coleman describes the dog as being like pony-sized large dog, so a gigantic dog. Abaddon resident Philip Kane once witnessed a giant gray dog kill two of his ponies by ripping out their throats. He shot at the thing and it ran off into the dark. And after a three-day search was launched, the giant canine was never found. 
and it was never seen again. I've got one more for you. Uh, possibly the strangest story from the Triangle. One of the strangest stories I think I've ever kind of heard. In 1990, William Russo was walking his dog down a lonely back road. He stopped by a nearby water wheel, an old one, one left over from days gone by. In front of him was a single street light, when suddenly, both Russo and his dog heard a strange high-pitched cry. Uh, the crying voice was saying something, something to the effect of, we want you, we want you, here, here. After the voice, a furry bipedal creature emerged from the darkness and walked under the light, repeating what it had said moments earlier. And even though Will didn't necessarily feel threatened by the creature, he got himself and his dog out of there. He never saw the thing again and has no idea where it came from. Uh, watch the documentary on this. I do have a screenshot of this thing. It's not a Bigfoot. It's not an alien. Like, the picture that they have is a painting of the thing under the streetlight. And it's, it's furry. It's bipedal. It kind of has these really sad looking eyes. And it's a small thing. Like, it's, you know, it's probably the size of a child. Maybe three, four feet tall. It's not like a, you know, huge burling Bigfoot creature or something. And when he talks about it, talking like I can't do the voice that he did, I'm not going to try, but it wasn't, it, it was like it knew English and it was attempting to speak English, but it had like, it wasn't quite getting there, but he could get there enough where when he thought about it, it was like, oh, it was saying, we want you, like, you know, we want you to come here, like here, like it was beckoning to him. But this, the, it's, I don't know what it is. You've never really seen... It could have been a Pukwudgie. We still haven't talked about Pukwudgies, but we'll get the Pukwudgies. It could have been some sort of furry alien. I don't know, but that one really sticks out because it just doesn't fit the pattern of anything else. Not just in the Bridgewater Triangle, but almost anywhere else. It truly is a unique uh, story. And I'm sure that if you do your own digging, you will find so many more stories I didn't even get a chance to, you know, talk about. I didn't talk about the crazy truck driver ghost. I didn't talk about possible zombies. You know, that's in the book. Uh, I linked to a nice little Ranker article that also has just ten more things. Some of them I did talk about, some of them I didn't. But there's so much here that I, I can't even get into. And I don't have the time right now. I don't have the energy anymore. But it's such a fascinating place. Um... My one of my long-term goals is to hike in all 50 states, and you can bet when uh, Massachusetts come around, this will be one of the places that hiking hiking will be had here. I think, but that is Freetown, Massachusetts. That is the Bridgewater Triangle area, and that is the huge meat of this uh, final two episodes for the seasons. But we're not for the seasons. Did you hear that? For the seasons. For the season. But uh, we're not done yet. We have, of course, uh, local headlines coming up.
and we have returned once again for some local headlines. This first one comes from Coast to Coast Care of Tim Banal, and I've scrolled too far and I've lost the headline. The headline is Bigfoot Howl Recorded in Kentucky. A weird piece of footage circling online features an eerie series of howls emanating from a forest in Kentucky, and some suspect that the source of the creepy sounds could be Sasquatch. The unnerving moment was captured on a Facebook broadcast this past Friday by a man named Sean Hammonds at his home in the city of Whitesburg. In the video, an unsettled Hammonds dashes toward the tree line at the edge of his property. He points his cell phone camera towards the heavily wooded area. What is that? He wonders out loud as an ominous howl emerges from the forest. Hammonds is soon joined by his wife, who asks what is making that spooky sound, but her husband concedes that he has no idea. The footage comes to a swift conclusion when Hammond sees that his wife brought their young child outside with her. The concerned dad quickly turns his attention away from the strange scene unfolding in the forest and opts to get his family back inside their home in case the mystery creature makes an appearance in the flesh. In his caption to the video, Hammond asserts that both he and his wife were certain the animal behind the sound was not a bear, elk, or coyote. That sound pierces your soul, he mused. It's unlike anything I've heard in these mountains. What's your take on the odd howl? Could it have been from a Sasquatch, or was it merely a run-of-the-mill denizen of the forest? So I'm going to give you a little uh, sample here of the audio from the video. And of course, I will have this linked in the show notes if you want to go and watch the whole video yourself. But take a listen. Let me know what you think. And if anyone is uh, wondering how high tech I get on this show, I literally just turned my iPad full blast and put the mic up to it and then automated it to make it even louder. So there you go. But it works. This next one is from Sky News. Uh, no author on it. But the headline reads, Found, Britain whose 50-year-old message in a bottle washed up in Australia. The British author of a 50-year-old message in a bottle that washed up on an Australian beach has been found and is at sea again. A then 13-year-old Paul Gilmore threw his message over the side of a ship on 17th November 1969 as he and his family were immigrating to Australia. The message was found this week by Paul Elliott and his 9-year-old son, Jaya, on Talia Beach in South Australia. The boy's mother, Carla Elliott, said that he was so excited, though he initially was worried it might be a fake. Miss Elliott posted an image to the letter on Facebook to try and locate Mr. Gilmore, said the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC. Eventually, his sister Annie Crossland was found and said that Mr. Gilmore is currently on a cruise in the Baltic Sea. It's amazing, absolutely incredible, she told the Australian broadcaster. He'll be chuffed to bits. A teenage Mr. Gilmore said in the message that he was traveling on a ship called the Fair Star, which took many British migrants to Australia. He urged whomever to find it to write back and left an address for a house in Victoria. We are 1,000 miles east of Fremantle, Western Australia. Please reply, he wrote. Jaya put his reply in the post this week, sent it to the address that was originally provided. Mr. Gilmore's sister, also aboard the Fair Star when the family moved to Australia, said she remembered him writing letters and putting them in bottles. He sent about five or six of them, she told ABC, so it's good to see that one of them has surfaced. I don't remember where he got the bottles from, but I remember my dad saying it cost him a fortune in drinks on the ship. Paul Gilmore's younger brother David, who was only four when the family immigrated, said he could recognize the handwriting in the message. It's really strange. I'm looking at the message now and yeah, I can see it's my brother's handwriting. He's obviously a bit younger then. I'm amazed. It obviously brings back fantastic memories of moving to Australia. And this last one is uh, pretty unfortunate. It's pretty sad. Uh, it is from KTLA 5. Uh, once again, no name on this one. Uh, headline goes, Iowa grocery store employee missing for 10 years found behind store's cooler. 
Workers removing shelves and coolers from a former no-frills supermarket in Council Bluffs, Iowa in January discovered a body behind one of them. The remains were recently identified of those as Larry Ello Morello Moncada, a former employee who had been reported missing November 28, 2009. Investigators used his parents' DNA to confirm the identity, and the clothes matched the description of his attire the last time he had been reported missing, according to Council Bluffs Police Captain Todd Wedham. Marilla Moncato's parents reported their son missing after he became upset and ran out of their home. They told police at the time that he was acting irrationally, possibly because of medication he was taking, Wedham said. Officers contacted family members, other law enforcement agents nearby, detention centers, and even U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency. He had been deported to Honduras before making his way back to the United States, but received no information regarding his possible whereabouts. Investigators now believe that Marilla Moncato went to the supermarket and climbed on top of the coolers. The space was used for storage for merchandise, Wedham said, and employees would sometimes go there to hide when they wanted to take an unofficial break. He is thought to have fallen into the 18-inch gap between the back of the cooler and the wall, where he became trapped. Noise from the coolers' compressors may have concealed any attempts to call for help, according to Wedham. An autopsy found no signs of trauma, and the case has been deemed an accidental death. And that has been this episode's local headlines. We will be back in a second to talk about some listener stories. And I'm going to do a special thing today since it is the quote-unquote season finale. I have one uh, story from a listener. And the other story is going to be my own personal story, my own small town secret. So, So those are coming up to finish out this last episode of the season. And this first listener story comes to us from Jules Ann. She got a hold of me on Instagram and sent me a link to uh, a local urban legend down in Australia. So the the little link, the little story isn't super huge, so I'll link to the show notes, but I'm just going to read it like it was a new story. So this is uh, The Ghost at Jenny Dixon Beach Urban Legend by The Paranormal Guide, Central Coast News. Jenny Dixon is home to one of Australia's most famous urban legends. A woman appears, arms outstretched, beseeching the help of the observer. A nearby road is home to a phantom hitchhiker, a young woman who has murdered decades ago. Are they one and the same? If you are ever driving along Wilford Barrett Drive, heading towards Norville in South Wales, Australia, beware of picking up hitchhiking women. The area, a narrow piece of land flanked by trees of the Warrabalog National Park, itself flanked by two large bodies of water, the Tasmanian Sea, and the Tungra Lake, is well known to be haunted. A pretty young woman may be standing at the side of the road, looking for a lift. You pull over, and as you are going in her direction, she climbs in. She does not take the front seat, but rather refers to sit in the back. The conversation, if any, is short-lived, her voice trailing off. Before long, you realize you are talking to yourself, and a quick glance in the rearview mirror confirms that indeed you are. She is gone. Shaken, you sit down in Norville, and if you are not feeling too crazy, that you are going too mad, you may share your experience. It is nothing new here. It happens all the time. The police have many reports of such occurrences, and the locals know it all too well. The sequence of events have been playing out for more than 40 years. You may have met the local ghost, one whose tale is not happy at all. The above may sound familiar, and so it should. It's a classic phantom hitchhiker scenario, one that plays out in all parts of the world. However, like Resurrection Mary outside of Chicago in the U.S., and numerous other famous roadside ghosts, the woman of Wilford Barrett Drive seems to be more than just a story. It's now a piece of local lore. There are quite a few versions of the story, but the core is essentially the same with each telling. Back in the 1970s, some places as early as the 1950s, a young woman was making her way home along Wilford Barrett Drive. It's a long, dark walk along the road back to Norville. I think it's Norville, so I've been saying it wrong the whole time. So she lifted her thumb, and she saw a car's headlight coming up behind her. The car stopped, and the girl peered inside to see five young men. They looked friendly enough, so they hopped in and set off. The young men found the woman to be quite attractive and decided they would like to spend some time with her. Against her wishes, she was drove down to a local beach where she was beaten and left in the nearby scrub. She was found some time later. She was not in good shape at all, and she did pass away within a few days. Before she died, she did state that she would get her own back. Unfortunately, the police were unable to get a clear description of the guilty party. They had their suspicions, but nothing definite. The five guilty men went free, but the young woman, it would seem, did get her revenge. 
Within a year, a series of strange accidents and suicides saw a group of five close friends die in fairly grisly ways. Three car wrecks, a hanging, and a self-inflicted gunshot wound later, the five friends were dead. All of them have complained of seeing and hearing things leading up to their demises. For the past 40 years, people have reported seeing a young girl at the side of the road. At times, she has nearly caused accidents due to people swerving to avoid her. At other times, people picked her up to have her disappear. It has been reported numerous times, even the police are said to have witnessed this apparition. Many believe this young woman's name is Jenny Dixon, and the beach she was found at was named after her. However, that beach already had been named for another Jenny Dixon, and the ghost was named after the beach. The beach is also haunted. People utilizing the beach, found near the end of Wilford Barrett Drive, have also reported seeing a ghost of a woman. She will stand back towards the scrub, having suddenly appeared as if from nowhere. She holds her hands out to whomever she sees in an appeal for help. Unfortunately, those who see her generally are aware that she is not solid flesh and blood, and the appeal goes unaided. People are generally too terrified to do anything. Although many people believe it is one and the same woman, there are a group who believe that this ghostly woman is another person entirely. There are even people who have experienced both the roadside ghost on Wilford Barrett Drive and the ghost of Jenny Dixon Beach. The two women are described differently. Both wearing clothes suitable to the period in which they died, the roadside ghost in the city clothing befitting the mid-1900s and the ghost of Jenny Dixon Beach, the clothes of the mid-1800s. Just south of Jenny Dixon Beach is Nora Head, a piece of coastline that juts out into the Tasman Sea. The area is quite notorious for the number of shipwrecks that occurred there as captains unfamiliar with the lay of the coast ran aground at the head or storms blowing them into the coast. At least seven ships ran aground here over a 35-year period leading up to 1871, with more since. And in 1903, a lighthouse was finally completed. However, it is 1871 that we are interested in, in regard to the name Jenny Dixon Beach. In this year, the cool schooner Janet Dixon sank with the survivors gathering on the beach. Later, that beach would be called mistakenly Jenny Dixon Beach. As for the ghost who haunts this site, many believe it is the ghost of a woman who was either killed in one of the many shipwrecks or has lost her baby to the deep and she continues the search. And I think this is, there's also a movie uh, based on some of this that you can go and find out. But that was what she sent me. And like I said, I want to share uh, one of my uh, stories. I don't have a lot. And actually, this may be the only like true one that really made me go. Oh, no, there's two. There's two. But I'll save that one for another time. Um, this happened a while back when I was living in Troy. I had an apartment. I was living with my uh, girlfriend at the time. She was upstairs uh, asleep. It was a late night. It was probably Saturday night, Friday night, and I just couldn't sleep. And I was downstairs watching TV. And at the time, well, we still she had them. We had a dog whose name was Toro, and he was downstairs with me. Like I was laying on the couch, and he was uh, at my feet, but down on the floor. So he was on the other. He was on the opposite end of the couch, but he was laying on the floor. And I'm just sitting there watching something stupid on Netflix. I'm sure. And from out of the corner of my eye, I see a Toro get up and then head up the stairs. And I just I didn't think anything about it. I was like, oh, something. You know, I saw something get up and then walk up the stairs. And you know, I just thought, oh, it's Toro. He's going to go upstairs and you know, lay in his little chair that he always would lay in when he would sleep or lay on the bed or whatever. So I didn't think about a lot of it. So I'm sitting there watching whatever it was and maybe 10, 15 seconds go by and I glance over down there to see that the dog has not moved and is fast asleep. So to this day, I don't know what the strange little shadow that I saw trounce up the stairs was it wasn't I mean it was dog sized it wasn't like tall it was you know very short low to the ground and it was just a black shadow and it went up the stairs and I just was like oh that's the dog and then look and it wasn't the dog and it was just one of those weird things that you get and to this day I haven't had like a reasonable explanation for it. maybe I just saw something weird but that was that was one of the big ones and like I said, I have a couple. I'll save those. Maybe I'll save the other one for uh, uh, the season two finale. But that has been this week's listener stories. And that is going to be a wrap for the last episode of season one, episode 10. 20 weeks 
I've been doing the show every other week, an episode every other week for 10 episodes. And every week it's fun. Every week more and more stuff happens and grows. It gets great. And it's just, this is the best thing to do. This really is. Um, but if you enjoy the show, please, you know, rate, review, and subscribe it on your podcatcher of choice, especially if you're listening to it on iTunes. I believe uh, the magic number is 50 ratings and or reviews, and that gets it popped into uh, the new and noteworthy category, or it'll it'll change something in the algorithm and it gets more exposure. And I think right now I'm at 16 or 17, all of them positive, all of them five-star reviews, which is great. Uh, that would be helpful if you could do that. Uh, other ways you can support the show if you want, like I said, there is the Dirty Knees Soap Company that you can check out. You can go to stscast.com and find oodles of stuff, uh, show notes for this episode and every other episode, pictures for this episode and every other episode. Uh, you can buy merch from the store. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got stickers, we've got a tote bag. Because one time someone told me they wanted a tote bag, so I made a tote bag and now it's on there. And uh, all, all sorts of goodies like that. Um, you can... Submit your own small town secret there at the bottom of the main page. There's a form to fill out. Or you can hit me up on social media, such as uh, Instagram is what we did the night. Someone sent me one on Instagram. So the social media links are at STScast on both Twitter, which is where I'm most active, and Facebook. And you can find it on Instagram at STScast.gram. So those are ways to get at me if you have a story or if you have a question or whatever. And we'll see what we can do. But I want to thank everyone once again for listening. And this is the end of season one, as I've stated. So it's going to be, it might be two weeks, it might be three weeks. Uh, Keep your eyes on Twitter. I'll let everyone know what I end up doing. But, you know, there's definitely going to be a season two. There's probably definitely going to be a season three. And I can't wait to get on it. So until then, remember, every town has a secret. What? is yours. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? 
Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.